0: Brendan O'Connor on RTE Radio 1 with All Care Pharmacy. Need expert advice on your family's health? Speak to us today at All Care Pharmacy Ireland's largest community pharmacy
1: network. We have an amazing story for you now and on one level it's a story of incredible inhumanity but ultimately then it's an extori- a story of extraordinary humanity. So I'm joined now by the author Colin McCann and also by Diane Foley and you're both very welcome and we've written a book together American Mother and Colin people know you you and Diane you are the mother of James Foley and Diane if you don't mind I'll ask column to remind people why they know the name James Foley and column James death really shocked the world didn't it
2: that's right. It's one of the great iconic moments, if you can call it uh, um, great, uh, in the sense that it, it did shock the world. After the 9-11 towers coming down, one of the most recognisable images is of, uh, of of Jim in the desert in an orange jumpsuit um, with the back black balaclava um, uh, uh, killer be- beside him and it shocked us uh, to the core and it stirred us to the core and it, um, it was an, an image that um, that still remains imprinted on my record. And I think uh, on, on many others. His story is so important because it's a story about journalism. It's a story about uh, world politics. It's a story about grief. But it's also a story, as you mentioned, about great forgiveness and humanity in the vast human- inhumanity of what we have experienced over the past decade.
1: So, Diane, obviously the the death of James changed your life and you've done extraordinary things since then. But will you tell me a bit about, we, uh, we're calling him Jim, are we? Will you tell me a bit about Jim first? R- reading the book, I, f- I felt I know him, but I, I felt we all know guys like him for sure. He was kind of an idealist, a bit of a restless soul.
0: Jim was a very curious young man. He was just interested in the world. I I do not like the term reckless because I think Jim just was interested. He wanted to know how things worked, what people were about, why they did what they did. So... Um, Which made him a very good listener, and um, he was willing to take risks to find out what was really happening behind the scenes in conflict zones and such. So, um, Jim, from the earliest time, was curious, loved to read, loved stories, and very interested in people of all types.
1: Okay, so then he gravitated towards conflict situations, and I think... I think in a lot of ways to hear maybe not the stories of the conflict, but the stories of the people uh, living in these conflicts. And actually, before he was abducted in Syria, he had actually been abducted in Libya a few years earlier. Tell me about that.
0: Yes, um, Jim, um, when Jim started his career, he spent years embedded with the Um, American armed forces in Iraq and Afghanistan. But when he went to when the Arab Spring started in Libya, he went as a freelance journalist um, to northern Libya, Libya, Brega. And um, he was taken. He was kidnapped by Gaddafi's forces um, when he was reporting from northern Libya for six weeks. Six very long weeks. He was held um, in G- G- Daffy um, Prison, if you will.
1: Yeah, that must have been. I mean, obviously, in retrospect, it it had a, a good ending, but that must have been a very, very uh, difficult six weeks for you all.
0: It was. It was horrific, and um, I and I was so ignorant about the risks particularly that freelance journalists um, take when they go to conflict zones or investigate particularly um, complicated stories. So um, I was incredulous. It was horrific. It was very, very difficult. And our, it was really thanks to a stranger and a lot of good people working on behalf of Jim that we found um someone who knew Gadhafi's son who was able to persuade him to release Jim and the other um, <clears throat> hostages that they had. So it was really a, quite a remar- remarkable and miraculous um, uh, release. So it was. Uh, Jim was filled with deep gratitude when he came home, uh, but um, very passionate about continuing the work.
1: Yeah, and it, it would have put a lot of people off, but it didn't put him off. And so, some people, some families might have been annoyed with Jim for continuing on and for going to Syria, say, after what happened in Libya.
0: Well, I, I think some of his brothers were and friends. And um, we were, you know, some of them were incredulous and worked hard to dissuade him. And, you know, Jim took every precaution. I mean, went to safety courses, state-of-the-art courses, tried to do everything to uh, improve the security. But the fact is that when you're a conflict journalist um, and a freelancer at that, um, it is very dangerous work, just like a, a police officer or a fireman. You know, I mean, it, um, danger is inherent in, the, in that type of work. There's no question about that. And he was aware. He was aware of the danger.
1: Yeah. Do you remember, Diane, the moment you were told he'd been kidnapped again in in, um, Syria? Do you remember your reaction?
0: I sure do. I sure do. We, were, we just couldn't believe it had happened again. It was the day after Thanksgiving, and we, it was odd that we had not heard from him on Thanksgiving Day because Jim always called on holidays and it kept in very um, frequent touch with us, but he did not call. And so that morning we received a call from his colleagues saying that he had um, not come to the meeting place and they knew he had been kidnapped in northern Syria, very close to the Turkish border.
1: How did you feel when you heard that? We were shocked and just,
0: you know, just so, so upset, obviously. I mean, we were brought to our knees, you know, that we just couldn't believe it was happening. To be honest, um, and this kidnapping was totally different because no one had any idea who had taken him. Even the fixer who witnessed it just couldn't. A lot of foreign fighters were pouring into northern Syria at that time, and he really couldn't recognize who it was. So there were many wo- rumors swirling, and we, our government, really had no one on, no boots on the ground, or anything. So it was he just vanished. We had no idea where he was for the next 10 months really. No idea if he was dead or alive or who had him.
1: Okay, so this time was very different. Colum, what do we know about the circumstances of Jim's captivity and his time in captivity?
2: well the stories are there the stories are there from from other hostages who who got out whether they be french or uh, spanish or, or or danish um this is one of the 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 the, the real Um, heartbreaking things behind Jim's story. Um, He and four other Americans uh, were kept there because the uh, U.S. administration, alongside the British administration, in fact, refused to negotiate in in, in any manner or means. So the stories are there of him telling the plots of novels, of him, uh, you know, helping other people out. He was a great um, spirit. He was a, a, a person who buoyed other people up uh, and he gave a great sense of, um, of um, you know, uh, uh, space and 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 time, and and it was quite obvious that he was very well liked uh, among the the other hostages. It must have been a terrible time uh, to 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 have been in such uh, such captivity. But it was he was an extraordinary person.
1: And how were they treated, and and what did they know about who their captives were and everything?
2: Well, they knew their captives were British. They knew their captives were were you know had had Cockney accents, and so they nicknamed them um, the Beatles. Uh, they knew that they could be savage. They knew that they could do some some um, terrible things that we don't even need to talk about uh, over over the radio because um, people can just use um, their imagination to 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 know what sort of things that, that that had gone on um but one of the wondrous things about Diane and one of the wondrous things about about Jim and his story is um, that has now faded um into the background. Because Diane, as you know, uh, she went ahead and she decided uh, seven years after the killing, uh, to when she got the opportunity to go sit and face-to-face uh, with her son's killer down in Virginia after he was ca- captured in Syria, stripped of his British citizenship and brought over to the United States. And he copped a plea and uh, part of the plea agreement was that he would talk to uh, the victims and the families of victims. And, and this woman, this extraordinary woman, uh, Diane Foley, who I got to know uh, on that journey, um, went and sat for three days um, and, and looked him straight in the eye. That's part of the extraordinarily redemptive part of this particular story.
1: Yeah, and look, it's I was absolutely mesmerised, Diane, by that account of you, which which uh, column starts the the book with? Of you meeting this Alexander Coate, why did you meet him? What did you hope to get from him?
0: Well, it was <clears throat> Jim um, has challenged me throughout the whole thing to try to find some good in the midst of all of it. Trying, to, try to trying to do the right thing, if you will. So when. Um, Alexander offered the um, a chance to meet with victims, I knew I had to do it. Um, I knew Jim would not have wanted me to be afraid. And I knew Jim also would have wanted me to hear him out and, um, you know, um, treat him as a person. And I, as a mom, wanted um, him to know who Jim was. Um, I just Hatred just doesn 't work. we have to learn to talk to people who and listen to people who may have hurt us or we, whom we disagree with. so it just I knew I needed to um, meet him, and it was Colum who was kind enough to accompany me because even though I was sure that I needed to talk to him, I was a little intimidated by the idea and appreciated Colum, um accompanying me
1: and people will have heard you just casually call him by his christian name there alexander almost in a kind of a familiar way making him sound quite human and everything i i i i uh did see in the book that you did think a lot about even that what were you going to call him
0: i did because i mean you know <laughs> He's a human being, just like we are, you know, and made some awful decisions, and therefore he has lost his freedom and citizenship and most likely the ability to ever see his family again. So everyone lost in the violence that took our beloved Jim, everyone. We lost Jim, Alexander, and those who committed a lot of this have, have, you know, are being held accountable, and I think that's important because we can uh, capture as people who do human rights crimes must be held accountable but nevertheless he is a human being who is also paying for his um decisions
1: yeah you're you know. you're a remarkable woman to be able to see it like that what well, what was it like when you went into the room first and you you look him in the eye
0: well, at first it was very awkward, I mean, incredibly awkward for him, for us. I mean, we there were we were not alone in the room. We had att- attorneys from both sides and FBI police officers, so we were not alone. But what was odd was that very quickly, once we started talking, it was like everyone else melted into the background. And um, he had a lot to say. I mean, he wanted to explain himself and um, talked about the fact that he was a soldier in war and those kinds of things. And, um, you know, he but he also was willing to listen to me and um, express deep remorse um, and for what we had gone through. Um, And at times, I think he was really being authentic when like when he showed
2: this
0: Um, beautiful pictures of his little girls. Um, But then at other times, I I think he was trying to justify and minimize what he was doing, um, what he had done. So, very human. You know, it was a very human encounter in many ways. Very human.
1: And what did you get from it, Diane? Forgiveness? Understanding?
0: Uh, um, I, I just... Jim was always one who wanted to hear people out and had often worked with young people like Alexander. He'd worked with young felons in Chicago, in the prisons in in Chicago. He'd worked in the inner city in our country with youngsters who had lost their parents, like Alexander had lost his dad. He was always one who was trying to understand and to build bridges and hope um, between people. So it was what Jim would have wanted me to do that. And my God gave me the courage to do it. So, um, you know, and thanks to Collins generosity and that of others, it was just the right thing to do. I mean, um, Alexander will pay for his actions for the rest of his life, which is, you know, important. We must make, we must hold people accountable, but he also is a human being who, um God willing um will repent of you know all he did and maybe do some writing and reading and make some good in his life um hopefully um but I just feel it's important as people that we must try to build bridges. um Hatred gets us nowhere, everyone loses. Look at the horror in Gaza and Israel right now. everyone's suffering. Um, children, families, so many innocents. I mean, hatred um, kills us all.
1: Truly. Yeah, Colin. You so you were in the room for for these meetings. Um, Cody wasn't quite what you expected, was he?
2: No. I mean, it was extraordinary to walk in there and um, to sit down four feet from him. Um, he's an interesting, handsome man. He's in his late uh, late 30s. Uh, he had shackles on his feet, um, but his hands were free. He was reading a book by Patrick Radden Keefe, um, a book about Ireland, in fact, and, and um, he was very informed. And he, we'd been led to believe by some of the, 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 the media beforehand that he was some sort of football hooligan and, you know, didn't have a brain in his body. As it turned, out, Diane and I, in our first coffee break, uh, we looked at each other and we had to say, oh my word, We kind of, we understood him. I wouldn't say we actually liked him, but there was something profound that was operating in that room. Um, And and to to see Diane uh, talk with him and talk with him about faith and talk with him about his children, to see him erupt into tears and to also um, see Diane uh, cry publicly for the first time since uh, her um, son's death was um, an extraordinary thing. It's probably... um, in those three days when we met with him uh, will be, you know, imprinted um, on, on my consciousness for, for a long, long time. To see that forgiveness in play and uh, to also see the, the, the complex human emotions mm. when he he tried to play us a little bit too mm. and he didn't always succeed, but it was fascinating.
1: There's an extraordinary moment. I think this was in the kind of subsequent third meeting column where Diane and Cody touched Tell me about that and 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 then about what he said when he was asked about it afterwards
2: well this is the, the, the this is the crescendo of the experience for me um that um, after all was said and done, uh, Diane stood up and she walked across the room and she um, put out her hand uh, what what a lot of people didn't know at that stage is that he Cody as a, um, a devout Muslim was not allowed to shake her hand. It went against his faith. He could only shake the hand of his wife or touch the hand of his wife, his sister, his mother. Um, and... Um he, he did so. He put out his. He looked at me. He put out his hand, and then when Diane left, I asked him, "Why did you do that?" and And he said, "Well, because she's like a mother to us all." Um, and there was something really profoundly spiritual that happened um, in that moment. Diane will tell you that was that. You know, um, you know, the 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 Holy the Holy Spirit was there in the room uh, for her. For me, it was um, that that profound human connection. Um, that um, was something that 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 still keeps hope alive, despite all the, the all the available evidence mm-hmm. anywhere else.
1: Yeah, and look, I know this is kind of one of your team's column is empathy and impossible uh, situations, and and definitely holy is the word in my head when I was reading about those meetings. It did mm. feel like something holy was going on there. Diana, how did your family feel about you meeting Cody? I know he sent you letters afterwards, an apology of sorts. How did they feel about you being in touch with them?
0: Um, My family has just loved me and has put up with me. I mean, I don't <laughs> think they've understood a lot of my journey, to be honest to them. They've just been so traumatized by the loss of Jim that they just felt the need to put it away and uh, move on with life, if you will. For me, I've found more healing through the work of the James Foley Foundation to get our government to prioritize the return of Americans and protect journalists. and, And just to try. Jim has challenged me incredibly since he died. Jim was... So good. And I truly, as a mother, I had no idea how many people he had inspired and mentored. And so it was important for me as a mom to somehow keep that um, spirit of goodness alive. So he has challenged me big time. Um, and. Um, Jim aspired to be a man of moral, moral courage. I mean, I really had never thought about moral courage, but Jim did, and um, Jim has taught me and challenged me um, like I've never been ever challenged before in my life. So, and how I'm that just started, and all the
1: people. How that started was I, when Jim was missing Diane. That you kind of discovered, really, that uh, that America. I had no system for for dealing with um hostages held abroad and didn't really want to to deal with it.
0: We had nothing. We we really had dealt with hostage taking on a very ad hoc way depending on how the president looked at it. So we had no infrastructure at all. No one accountable to help innocent Americans who were kidnapped or wrongfully detained abroad home. So I was appalled um, after Jim was murdered that we had nothing and no one who um, was accountable or even um, could help to bring Jim home. So I was angry and I felt as an American that that we could do better, that we have to do better. I think similar to how Richard Radcliffe felt when his beloved wife was held hostage for so many years in Iran, that sometimes it's we ordinary citizens who can um, see a, something that our government must. Do better at, and that's kind of the way I felt after Jim was killed. That um, Jim. Well, had, Diane, were you me.
1: Diane? Were you actually threatened with prosecution if you tried to raise uh, a ransom for Jim?
0: Three times, three times I was threatened. As were the other American hostages. We were told that we, you know, if we dared to try to raise ransom, we could be criminally prosecuted. Um, So the way we were treated was not the best of America, and I knew as a citizen that we could do better. And um, so that's what the work of the James Foley Foundation has been, to try to um, advocate for this issue um, so that our government would have the backs of innocent Americans should this happen to them when they travel
1: abroad. I was a bit surprised at as well at how Barack Obama treated you. Initially, did he go on TV and announce Jim's death not only before he spoke to you but before you had had any official confirmation?
0: Yes, he did. And I think that just showed the shock. Everyone was shocked. Nobody thought ISIS would um, uh, use... The hostages and the horrific way they did to promote propaganda and hatred. Um, I we were all shocked. It, the whole thing was beyond our, our imagination. We yeah. So, um, but President Obama went on to make amends, if you will. He it's thanks to him at the end of his presidency. He. Um, did a presidential policy directive to that which actually started our u.s hostage enterprise so we actually have people now in our government who um, help to bring innocent Americans home
1: and you're so, being quite what, modest about this but i think it would be fair to say colin wood it that the whole way america deals with these situations and we, and and we probably saw it recently with the American hostages in Gaza, has completely changed because of this extraordinary woman.
2: Absolutely, a hundred percent. I mean, this is the this is the crux of the situation, and I think a lot of women, in particular, uh, are 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 looking at someone like Diane, who you know w- was in her sixties when this happened, and, and and is now in her seventies, and has changed the whole political landscape in relation to hostages and hostage taking, how we think about hostages, how we how how we bring them home, how we negotiate. How we look after them, um, and that's what's really inspiring about this. You know, uh, Diane is a grandmother, a mother. She's a wife. You know, she's a, a, a daughter, and um, and she has done the most extraordinary. She's given over her life in in many ways. Um, she's given life to Jim by doing uh, by doing the work that 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 was not able to be done when 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 Jim was alive Fine. and when Jim was killed. Yeah, it's really yeah. amazing.
1: You, 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 there's a line in the book, this is a woman who's been lied to, taken for granted, condescended to, but there's a wrongness in the world and she has to stand up to it. And you do think that is a real heroine's, heroism, isn't it? Diane, the world can want uh, people like you, people who lose children or loved ones or whatever, to move on a lot. And it strikes me that you've clearly accepted that you're not moving on in a way and, and you, you you know, Jim is still very much there and driving you. Does that mean as well, though, on the other side, that you live in never-ending grief?
0: I wouldn't say that. I think in many ways it it helps me to keep um, Jim's spirit of moral courage and goodness alive. I mean, I have had so much joy in the more than 100 innocent Americans have been negotiated to freedom since Jim's murder. And I am so proud that that's Jim's legacy. So I feel in many ways um, that has given me incredible joy and healing. It really has. So, no, of course I grieve Jim, the loss of uh, child, is not, that pain never goes away. But um, when you know that some good has been done in their name, it it has given me healing. It really has in many ways. Um, and I pray that it will continue because our world desperately needs healing and good people to step up. And that's what I experienced after Jim was murdered. It was kind of like after the shock of it all. That's when yeah. The good Lord sent me angels literally um to bolster me up to encourage me to help me to um uh make a difference for others so
1: does, lot does, of does your family of uh, does your family understand and appreciate your journey a little bit more at this stage or do they still think you're mad mm mm-hmm.
0: Uh, well, a little bit of the latter i, mean, <laughs> I, I um uh, uh, but they put up with me. I love them, they love me, I think they're they're proud and happy that some bit of good has come out, but we all grieve for the loss of Jim, and sometimes they get a little jealous of my work and the busyness that it um. um, takes, if you will, to do the work. But, um, you know, I feel our kids are grown up and raising their own family. So God has given me this time in my life when I've been able to dedicate it to others. So I'm so grateful for that and grateful for them. My my good husband and our four remaining children are very good to me and put up with me, if you will. So a lot of blessing there all around. I'm very blessed
1: and you you're remarkable, you really are columnin. You must feel privileged to have been part of of this uh, story and of diane 's journey. You didn't explain to us how you became involved here because there was a, there was a particular thing happened at the time of jim's death, wasn't there?
2: There was a, an amazing coincidence in, in the sense that, you know, that my inbox got flooded with that horrific image that we talked about earlier on. But at the same time, uh, later that day, people started sending me another image of Jim where he was in a barracks and it turned out to be in Afghanistan, where he was sitting against the wall and he was reading a novel of mine called uh, Let the Great World Spin. And uh, seeing that image side by side with the other image sort of uh, you know, took all the oxygen from the air for, from me and, and I felt a connection with them. Um, and I still feel a connection with them. I feel now in this past couple of years working with Diane that Jim has been... Sitting there on my shoulder, uh, you know, uh, whispering in my ear. And and curiously, can you just say this, Brendan? I yeah, think there's something very Irish about him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, it, i I feel that he, he was able to get in with people and he yeah. wanted to know the background and he was good with people and he was open with people and he was a good storyteller too. And 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 you know, death will take away a lot of things, but it will not take away our stories.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And look, it's what I was trying to say maybe clumsily at the beginning I think we all know guys like Jim don't we call him like like any Irish guy has a friend uh, like Jim that kind of guy Um, listen uh, thank you so much both of you the book is called American Mother and it it really is an extraordinary uh, story it's published by Bloomsbury Diane Foley and Colin McCann thank you both so much
2: thank you so much thank you